Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee Greenest state in the land of the free Raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three Davy, Davy Crockett Welcome everyone to what promises to be a different type of episode for Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney Plus movie podcast. I actually got the title right, so yay me. I, of course, am Dan Teets, and we have one co-host in. It is the new, the improved... Kyra Hawkins. I'm new and improved. (laughs) You are new and improved. She has brought her A-game. She has told me she is ready to do this tonight. So, well, if you're not new and improved, I don't even want to know what the opposite of that would be. So, um, tired and haggard. Okay, they're the, they're all true. The tired and haggard Kara Hawkins joining <laughs> us, and Icky is on assignment. So, our hearts go out to him as he is not here to discuss a movie that both of us enjoyed, although we knew absolutely nothing about it. We are talking about. The June 15th, 1967 release, The Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin, which I had no clue what this was, and considering I cracked wise on the title of it when we recorded last, that kind of gave everybody an indication of what I really thought it was going to be. But And apparently the folks did not like it because it only did $1.9 million in total revenue. Yes, which is $16.1 million in today's money. Still nothing to sneeze about considering there are still um, lots of movie theaters that would love to make that in revenue. So since I said it, neither of us knew anything about it, obviously. And so neither of us really went in with any kind of expectations on it. Am I correct in assuming that? Correct. I had no clue. I saw that it was a Western, and I kind of thought, well, I hope I stay awake. Um, I have it, like, it's a running joke in my family that I fall asleep during any Western, so. <laughs> I never thought, I've never finished one that I can remember, because I always fall asleep. <laughs> but now, is that westerns with john wayne in it or is does it matter if it's john wayne jimmy stewart gregory peck um Uh, roddy mcdowell i've never seen an entire john wayne movie because i fall asleep (laughs) um pretty much all westerns knock me out pretty fast i think um support your local sheriff might be one of the only ones i've ever stayed awake through all right you're gonna have to give me a quick and dirty synopsis on that because i have never heard of that one i don't remember it has james garner in it (laughs) oh okay yeah it was a long time ago i've never watched it again so it had burt maverick in it or brett maverick i guess i guess his name was yeah oh yeah okay so that movie i have seen and i do love although mel gibson's kind of on the outs 
I, I did enjoy that movie. Yes, hashtag cancel Mel Gibson. We'll go ahead and put that there. And we have count, we have cancel culture all over this movie. So, all right. So the synopsis comes to us care of Wikipedia, and it goes a little something like this. In 1849, after Arabella Flagg is orphaned in Boston, her young brother Jack and his family's former butler, Eric Bullwhip Griffin, stow away aboard a ship bound for San Francisco, where the gold rush has begun. Griffin sets off to work as the ship's cook. A swindler and thief, Judge Higgins, steals a map to a gold mine belonging to Quentin Bartlett, an actor who is among the ship's passengers. Griffin, Jack, and Bartlett all pursue the crooked judge while Arabella arrives in town and takes a job as a dance hall girl to make ends meet. Griffin encounters a stocky bully, Mountain Ox, and lashes out a punch that flattens. Bullwhip becomes his new nickname. Inspired by the incident, Griffin enters a prize fighting match and wins the money. He also wins Arabella's affection while Judge Higgins Caught trying to steal the fight's receipts, quivers behind bars as a lynch bob for him forms outside. And that is the end of the synopsis. Alright, so what were your initial thoughts, especially considering we had the infamous content warning? Mm-hmm. Which has gotten to be your your nom de plume. That's the only movies that you are watching with us, it seems like. Seems like. Well, I mean, when that pops up, I'm always like, okay, what is it? Usually I'll pause right then to look it up. Because, <laughs> um, like, I want to learn and do better as much as anyone else. So I want to make sure, like, that I don't miss it. Um, and, I mean, you can't really miss it. It's, yes, I was thankful that it was quick. Um, you know, the negative depictions weren't, um, they were over pretty quick and they weren't like major plot points. Um, and then we could just be done with it. I, yeah. I am glad that, you know, they're willing to have these conversations. Yes. But did you also notice that right after you got the content warning, you, you saw that it was edited for content? I did. And I tried to find anything I could about that um, on the internet and maybe I'm just a bad sleuth but I couldn't find any information about what might have gotten cut out we might have to call in Amel and the detectives yeah for sure well not <laughs> okay so we're, we're oh, gonna he's so, in this movie who Amel Amel was in this movie it was the same kid Okay, see, I completely missed that. Yep. So he was the young lad that was trying to get to San Francisco. Is that yeah. right? Jack. Okay. Jack. Okay. Yep, same kid, Brian Russell. Okay. All right. Well, I have been educated tonight, so the more you know. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> All right. Well, we're, we're going to go ahead and address the content warning, so that way we can go ahead and get that out of the way. It was Carl Mar- If correct me if I'm wrong, it was Carl Malden dressed up as a, what's the proper term for them now? Asian American? Um, yes. Well, I mean, I think specifically they're Chinese in the movie. Okay. Um, there's that, and also, um, 
if I remember correctly, I don't know if I have it in my notes, but um, I think the bandito leader, um, when they hold up the stagecoach, I think the leader was um, a white man. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. With like, and, that exaggerated accent. Yeah, I actually I did write that down, but it it, it didn't strike me as being um, content just because I grew up with Speedy Gonzalez. So mm-hmm. when I heard his voice, that was immediately what I put down. I actually put down Speedy Gonzalez and Precious for the lead bandit. He did sound like him, um, but I, if if I remember correctly, that's a white guy that's like okay. mocking. So okay. Um, so now that we've addressed the bad people in the movie, which really they were the bad people in the movie. They really were. <laughs> so they they weren't playing too far afield um this movie actually caught me from the very beginning because i'm i'm a sucker for animation in credits mm-hmm. and this one actually had probably the best live action animation that i've seen in probably 10 or so movies especially with it being like every person had their own little animation it wasn't yeah. just like one thing and then you turn, and then it's another thing. It was everybody had their own little bit. So the song was really catchy. It's yes. actually stuck in my head right now. <laughs> and we and we may actually have to put that at the end of the show, so that way people will have an earworm for the next yeah hundred and sixty seven hours until the next episode. I've been singing it really as as many times as I've played this movie in the last few days. Um, it's just in my head all the time. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and stop there. How many times did we rewatch it? Because <laughs> you said that you're going to watch it at least once more, mm-hmm. which would have made at least twice. Okay. So um, I watched it Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched part of it on Tuesday. Um, and then I watched like the first half, I think, on Tuesday. And then I watched it again a second full time on Wednesday. We're recording on Friday. I did watch it again last night. <laughs> and um, when I was at my mom's house a little earlier, I, I was like, hey, mom, have you ever seen this movie? And I think she was like six when it came out. She didn't remember it. I was like, oh, I think you're going to love it. And so she actually started playing it while I was at her house. So. Three probably, plus. Yeah. Okay. Quite a few times. It's, it's, it's almost embarrassing. Were any of the times anyone else in the household, or was it just you? Um, my kids were in and out a couple different times, and um, they didn't finish it with me, but they were entertained and amused oh. at some parts. Okay. So I think I could probably get them to watch the whole thing if there weren't so many distractions. Okay. So so this one was is definitely better than those Callaways because okay. there there is a buy in. For sure. And it's definitely better than uh Amel and the Detectives, even though it has the same kid. <laughs> well, that's because he grew up and learned how to act, maybe. Yeah, he, he got an upgrade. And he's not pretending to be German. And he had one of the finest ape actors to help him. In this role with Roddy McDowell. Yes. Who, um, I, you know, I don't commit all of the names. Well, I haven't yet. I'm on my way committing <laughs> the names to memory. 
So I didn't. I haven't seen Planet of the Apes. Please don't be upset about that. So I didn't know. All right, this concludes the show, (laughs) y'all. I didn't know who Roddy McDowell was, except that he was in um, that darn cat. Uh-huh. So when he sh- like it shows him at first, I was like, "Oh, hey, that's Gregory from the cat movie," <laughs> and I was really excited because I liked him. So. Yeah. Okay, so so we're actually we're coming at this from two totally different points of view, and I can't say that I've watched all of Planet of the Apes, but I know voices from movies, and so. If I'm taking notes and then I hear somebody's voice, I have to look up and, oh, yeah, that's Sir Roddy McDowell. And you, on the other hand, have that darn cat as your frame of reference. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I was I was pleasantly surprised to see him and um, uh, Suzanne Plachette. Yes. I, I knew the name of Miss Plachette. I didn't. I don't know her work, but. She was. um a much more enjoyable character in this movie versus the wacko she played in the ugly dachshund. See, my brain totally blanked out that that was her. That shows you how much we loved the ugly dachshund in this. (laughs) So yeah. Getting into my notes, the fact that Amel, I'm just going to call him that because I can't even remember his name now that you've told me his. Jack, okay. The fact that Jack wanted, he pretty much wanted to be Bullwhip Brannigan from the very beginning, and he had the book, Bullwhip Brannigan, the son of the motherlode. And I'm dying to see if this is an actual book, or if this is just something that was created for the book that this book was based upon. Because, I mean, as you know, 95% of the Disney movies to this point were based on books. And you're probably looking it up to see if it is a... Yeah. (laughs) uh, He can probably see me looking down. Um, I don't think it's real. Oh, man. That would actually be a book that would be in my to-be-read pile this year. Just because it sounds like it would be along the lines of like the Wyatt Earp books that were written during the 1860s and 70s mm-hmm. that Doc Holliday talked about in um, Tombstone. So, but, alright. So, Mr. Flag dies. And apparently he was a practical joker. Because when he started, when they started reading off the will... The driver got fifty thousand. The cook got ninety thousand. The housekeeper, who happened to be in both Mary Poppins and a movie that we will be reviewing in a couple of weeks, The Happiest Millionaire, she always plays help. It seems like got a hundred thousand, and then Bullwhip gets a half a million dollars. Mhm. And he doesn't arch an eyebrow. Yeah, which. I think that's because he was brought up to not really care about money. He was more wanting to do his job to the best of his ability, no matter what that meant. And I don't... Explain, if you can, what was up with a painting of um, well, Granddad Flag. We'll just call him that. Okay, so am I explaining for you or for listeners? Well... 
I watched the movie, but I I think I can explain it, but and so I'm gonna ask you to jump in. Sure. This painting, for lack of a better term, was very expressive. It had several different expressions that it went through during the course of the reading of the will and then as time went along and they were trying to get moved out of the house because spoiler granddad flag was broke so there was no money to give anybody which is why i was like i think i would have punched something yeah i mean you gave me a hundred thousand dollars and now oh by the way he's in debt and he doesn't have a penny to his name flat broke um and so when that hit i think they showed granddad flag and he was he had a big cheshire cat grin on his face he was yeah so i loved um like this kind of silly like that's not real kind of humor really appeals to me um especially because like you don't expect it at all it just starts out as like this painting of this grouchy looking old dude. Mm-hmm. And then um, it cuts to him and he looks a little more grouchy. And then he is kind of smirking and then he has the big smile. And um, like, I just, it's stupid. And it's like, there's no way that really happens, but it just makes me, it makes me laugh. Um, it reminds me of um, <laughs> in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights where um, he, uh, Richard's mole moves around his face and like he's completely (laughs) unaware until someone points it out to him. Like there's no reason for that to be in there. It adds nothing. Just, it's just good silliness. But it was over the top humor that, I mean, it played to the audience because after a while you started expecting, Oh, well they're going to cut to the, to the granddad to see what his reaction is going to be to this. Mm -hmm. And I think the last actual reaction was when Miss Plachette closes up shop and packs up the one little box that she's sitting on. And good lady housekeeper tells the guy that he can have the the painting for $5. Granddad Flag has this aggravated look, I think, because his, his mouth was like wide open with a big old oh in the middle of his where his mouth was and i'm like okay so that's the reason why they were playing on that because they needed humor because they they had just lost everything so they needed a little bit of humor to not drag people down into the movie am i right so yeah i think so that like you mentioned he was a practical joker and um i just thought that's not a very funny joke um (laughs) At all. Like those, the workers were rightfully upset after thinking, you know, I've just inherited this fortune and then to learn they have nothing. And he left his family with nothing. And, um, I thought it was interesting that like Griffin was so concerned and, um, Arabella was just like, oh, whatever. He just wanted to stir things up and Mm -hmm. plays it as like, um, he he did this on purpose so that um, our our circumstances would change, and it kind of made it sound like she was implying um, that they would end up together. Like it was a it was a ploy to make you know orchestrate all of these other things happening. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then speaking of stirring things up, we had the phrase that I actually had to rewind to find out or to be able to write it down. Is people are 98% water. So if you don't stir them up once in a while, they stagnate. That is probably the best line of the movie. Just because, I mean, she... I think she knew what was going on with the granddad. So it didn't exactly take her by surprise like it did everybody else. I mean, you can correct me if you think otherwise. Because if she didn't... If she didn't know, then she wouldn't... I think she would have been a little bit more distraught with what was going on. Yeah. And would have been trying to figure things out along the way. Yeah. She just seemed like... I mean, she was laughing at it. Like, don't Mm -hmm. you see? He wrote a joke into his will. Mm -hmm. Like, excuse me, Miss Flag, that's not a funny joke. So, um... Amel decides he's going to go to San Francisco... Against the wishes of everyone in the family. Yep, he runs away. Which boys are tended to do. And he stows away on a ship. And Griffin comes along. And through a series of unfortunate events, he ends up on board of a ship that has already taken off. Which tickets for the ship sold for $1,200. I, that poor sap for lack of a better term, that paid $1,200 before um, Higgins Higgins grabbed it and bought his way onto the ship. Higgins is played by Carl Malden, who is the bad guy in the entire film. And I didn't see a single redeeming quality in him from the very beginning. No, he's just gross the entire movie. Yeah. And, I mean, he was an appellate judge. So, I mean, this is a man that pretty much ran courts back in Boston. Well, I got the feeling that he wasn't a real judge. He, that, oh. that was his cover story. Um, okay. So, when so, they're on the ship and um, he's talking with Jack, he's like, law and order, law and order, that's what I care about. And that's like all he really said mm-hmm. about... Um, anything really so i i kind of felt like he must have been faking faking it as a judge okay because I mean, even um griffin was like i think he's trying too hard well yeah and see that's the that turns out to be his modus operandi throughout the entire movie because he plays if if he wasn't actually a judge he played a judge then later on he plays a a um dentist then he plays a chinaman which Which we'll just go ahead and let that go yeah that's the worst and then he plays a um an accountant just so that way he can rob the till at the very end of the movie yeah so um so we're 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 on a ship with griffin carl malden amel and a bunch of people who are running to San Francisco because gold had been found. This was during 1849 gold rush. Mm-hmm. And we had a honest to goodness theatrical person, which if I didn't already know that Carl Malden was the bad guy, I would have thought that he was the one that was going to be the, the bad guy of the movie. Yeah. So like I got distracted at some point, the, like the very first time I started to watch it and I missed um, the whole auction scene. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I came back in, 
I don't remember which part it was, but I re- I I'm with you. I thought he was the bad guy at first. Mm-hmm. Um until I restarted the movie and got wise, but um yeah. I I liked him, but yeah, he would have been believable as a villain. Yeah. And so they're on board a ship and the theater guy has this mystical, magical map of where there is a mother load. And so something happens. Actually, he gets knocked out, but the map doesn't get taken. And then he sights in a gun on a point-blank range at the door. And I literally laughed out loud because I'm like, you don't know how to use a gun if you're sitting there looking down the eye of it and the door is two feet away. Yeah. First of all, really? you're going to you're gonna get your nose broke if you do actually shoot the gun because it's going to hit back and hit on your nose and probably mess up your face. So it was a good thing that he actually didn't use the gun. And so Carl Malden ends, ends up starting a fire somewhere in, in the boiler room, wasn't it? Uh, yes. And so everybody abandons or gets ready to abandon ship. And Griffin, being the ever-wise steward, has to go back for his hat and his umbrella. Because you don't leave that on board when you abandon ship. Because he's a gentleman. Yes. And so they put out the they put out the fire, find out that it was just a little smoke, nothing to really worry about. Because they had actually gotten to San Francisco. And so the judge, prior to this, knocks out Bartlett, who's the theater guy, with his gun after he can't knock him out with a chair. I'm a wrestling. <laughs> you, you hit a guy with a chair, he's going to go down unless this crazy, maniacal beast. But you got... He's probably like, what, 150, 160, if that? Yeah, he's not a big guy. He gets hit in the back with a chair, doesn't go down, so Mal- Carl Malden grabs the gun and hits him and knocks him out, takes the map, leaves, gets off the ship, so that way we don't see him again. Mm-hmm. He takes the, like, what's like the captain's escape boat? I don't know, yes. what, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like the captain's little boat. Yeah. And so, from then on, we're in a little bit of a chase movie, a.k.a. Amel, which... No, now... it's way better than that. <laughs> okay. So, we get to San Francisco, and Griffin starts trying to figure out ways to make money. And so, he starts charging $10 for a haircut, and somehow I missed the part where they put the money in the glove. Oh, <laughs> So, um, the, uh, the actor, the theater guy Mm -hmm. is performing his like Shakespeare and forcing that one little dude to listen to him the whole time while Griffin's giving haircuts. That was fun. Yeah. Um, and then they decide to like split the money. Mm -hmm. And so that's when he's like, they put half of it in the glove for Griffin to take. Yeah. And so there's a big burly guy named Ox who had, just gotten off work and he wanted to go get a haircut from Griffin. And Griffin shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Griffin had just closed up shop because they had gotten some information about where Carl Malden may have gone to. So they're like, all right, well, we're closing up, we're done. And I somehow didn't see them put the money in the glove. 
and Ox won't take no for an answer, and Griffin pretty much cold cocks him halfway across San Francisco at this point mm-hmm. in time. And I'm like, how did he do that? Because I thought it was a legit... I, like I said, I didn't see him put the money in the glove, which now that makes sense. That That's the only way that he could actually knock the knock him out. And so the owner of the one fine hotel in town sees it and starts seeing dollar signs and offers... Um, Griffin, what was it, $100,000? Or, no, hold on, I had, I got it down so I don't. I, yeah, I didn't make note of the dollar amount, but he's, like, wanting him to come work for him or something. Yeah, yeah, because he was the only person that had ever knocked out Ox in, in the entire time that Ox had been working for. And Griffin says no, he's got other things that he, that he's trying to do. And so the promoter tries to offer him a fight and he's like well he'll be back they always come back yeah and truly enough at the end of the movie they do come back but not spoiling it ahead so they go off and we have the first content warning with speedy gonzalez holding up stagecoach and taking everything Mm -hmm. and so Carl Malden somehow is on the stagecoach. We don't know how that happened, but I mean, I guess it's Disneyized, so that way it'll keep him in the picture until it's time to get rid of him. Yeah, he was like inside, right? And then yeah. Griffin and Jack were riding on the outside part. Yeah, they they were riding up on the top of the stagecoach, and so they get held up. They take their they take their jackets and all the money. And take off into the Wild West. Um, but not before he, like, shoots a hole into the jacket of Higgins, um, which we then find out uh, he had sewn that map into the lining of the jacket. So Griffin and Jack take off after the Banditos because they figure they're not going to keep a bunch of jackets and hats. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, right on down the road, they run into the jackets and find it and pull out the map. And Carl Malden holds them up with a gun, which I think probably was um, Bartlett's gun from the um, from the ship. So, um, yeah, they've got, they get the jacket and then he shows up like instantly. And um, I really like throughout the whole movie how Griffin like has this standard of decency mm-hmm. and he just expects that everyone is going to follow it. Um, of course in this case it doesn't really go his way because he doesn't, he thinks he's just going to walk away. Like mm-hmm. he would never shoot a man in the back. And um, uh, Higgins does exactly that. Like shoots at him while he's walking away. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when I think Jack, does he throw the jacket back up at him or something? I don't remember. Yeah, somehow Higgins ends up with the jacket and he takes off. First, he he doesn't he throws the map up to him so that way he can go try to find his way to the to the mother load. And we go off on our merry way. And so we end up at a mining camp where we find out that not only is Higgins a judge. He also is a dentist. So, I mean, he literally is a jack of all trades. 
Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. And the only reason that they found out about this is because he's getting held up, or he's getting ready to get hung. Mm -hmm. And so Jack plays like he's got an infected tooth, and Higgins says, yes, the kid has a compound infection of an abscess root. In other words, he's got a hole in one of his teeth. Yeah, he seems to know what he's talking about. Yeah, and I was like, um, wait, what? That's that's a whole bunch of gobbledygook that means nothing except you got a rotten tooth that has a hole in it. Yeah. So I like how um, Griffin and Jack, like, know that they can't let him be killed because they need him so that they can get the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how they, he, without saying anything signals to um higgins like that we're trying to help you here because he's like just leading him in their conversation like no you can't kill him until he fixes his tooth and he just the way that he um manipulates the whole situation just Mm by um kind of signaling to higgins like go along with me here um i thought it was so smart it caught me off guard because that wasn't what I was expecting to happen in that scene. Yeah. And so they let Higgins off the horse where he was getting ready to be hung, hanged, whatever the proper term is. And so Higgins gives them the map and shows them that there's a hole in it, which is right at the spot where the alleged mother load is. And, Griffin says, a gentleman does not go back on his word. So, I mean, it's like you said. every Everything points to Griffin being the best of everything that you expect. Whereas with Higgins, every time that you see him, he's slinking a little bit lower and lower yeah. in, the, in the book. Which, obviously, they... Somehow they find out where the mother load is. I can't remember. Um, so they make an agreement with like the other guys in that town that we're going to hang him. Like you can't oh. him until after he fixes the tooth. And then like for some reason they couldn't fix the tooth right away. So they're like, okay, so while you're waiting to do that, you can go dig his grave. Yeah. And that's where they find the gold. Yeah, because... And yeah, you that that's right because they they can't leave a town without a dentist, so they couldn't hang him until a replacement dentist was found. Yeah. And then somehow they found out that the barber was also a dentist, and I'm using air quotes here. Yeah, he can pull teeth. Yeah, so you need to get to work on digging the grave. Yeah, and so for some reason they assign. Griffin and Jack to that, and as they're digging, they find all that gold. Yes, which which ends up being all the which ends up being what they come all that way for. Yeah. And so um, they get them they get the money or they get the gold back to San Francisco, and this is where we see Higgins slink a little bit lower in his being a villain because he shows up as a Chinaman, or I'm sorry, a Chinese American. I almost slipped into a little bit of a faux pas there. <laughs> and he pretty much tries to rob Jack and Jack ends up getting 
thrown overboard. Mm-hmm. And Griffin goes after him, and they, they're they both weighed down with the gold, and they can't get up, so they let the gold go, and now the gold's sitting at the bottom of San Francisco Bay, which begs the question, did anybody ever go out and try to go find that gold? I kept waiting for that to be part of the movie, because it looked yes. for a second like Higgins might try. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of surprised that it didn't follow up on that, but it didn't have to, because it moved along to the next thing yes. so fast. Yes, and so we get back to San Francisco, and... Of course, we come back to the place where Griffin and Ox are both standing eye to eye. And we find out that Arabelle is actually working at the the place in San Francisco that has the only piano in San Francisco. I think they call it a saloon a couple different times, but it does seem like like there's... There's a restaurant. Well, I guess that's kind of the same thing. But it kind of seemed like there was a hotel somehow involved. Yeah. And whatever the situation is, the owner has put her up somewhere. Oh, yeah, because when she arrives in town, he, like, swoops in and carries her through the mud to his place. It's like, we've got to keep you safe. So we find out that Arabella has a very nice voice through her singing of a racy song, which... I don't even... I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. Let y'all go watch the movie. It's a good movie. And it's like three minutes of bawdiness and things that you wouldn't expect out of a proper lady. Right. And in a Disney movie. Well, honestly, I don't even remember what she was singing. But um, it's so cute. <laughs> um, the way that uh, Griffin and Jack end up in there is like they're, you know, they're flat broke. So they're like, hey, if we're going to get thrown out of a place, it's going to be the best place in town. And they've decided to go in and eat their fill and not be able to pay. Um, and so it's so cute when when they realize that it's her singing. And he's like, Arabella, you can really sing. Mm-hmm. Their little reunion was, was sweet. Yes. And so we go from that to... Griffin getting confronted by Ox. And so in order for them to be able to leave San Francisco, they have to come up with, what, 15? It was like $1,500 for three tickets out of San yeah, Francisco. Yeah, something like that. And so Griffin agrees to take on the fight, provided that he gets half of the money up front, which is not the way that promoters did things back then. It was winner take all. But it gave Griffin a motive to want to train for his fight so to speak and we had another mention of the gentleman's guide to boxing in this movie which of course is a callback to those Callaways the manly art of self-defense yes and I mean if you don't know how to fight you're not going to learn how to fight no matter what you're I mean especially if you're just dancing around and then Arabella shows up and she starts trying to work with um, Griffin on how to be a better fighter. Mm-hmm. She like decides to step in and play the ox. Yes. Which is, I mean, whatever. I think it's just that she's getting him to chase her around. Mm-hmm. And we had a naked cherub show up when she knocks out Bullwhip. Oh yeah, it plays the little 
the little song. Um, at some point, like when those little angels were flying across the screen, uh, my older daughter was like, is this made by the Monty Python people? That looks like Monty Python animation. <laughs> it's like, no, it's super not. But it did kind of have that, yeah. uh, that little bit of style of animation. Yeah. So we have a little training montage, and finally we get to the night of the fight. And Griffin wants to fight by Marcus of Queensberry Rules which is the official rules of boxing, even though this is a bare-knuckle brawl, basically. And it's best two out of three rounds, which means if you get knocked down, the round's over. And these rounds were definitely not three minutes in length because I just I, I kept hitting the butt, and I'm like, all right, when are they going to call for the bell? This has got to be, like, end of round one, not realizing that, no, you go until one until your opponent can't stand up anymore. Yeah. So, Bullwhip wins the first round. Ox wins the second round. And meanwhile, Higgins is robbing the entire bank of all the money that had been collected. And there was oodles and oodles and oodles of gold and banknotes and everything. Because that poor donkey did not look happy at all when he was getting loaded down right and so we cut back to the fight and somehow both of them get knocked down and they have to have a they have a minute to reach the scratch line which granted i am not a bare knuckled brawler so i have never heard of this but it's a line in the middle of the arena for lack of a better term where one of the boxers has to make it to by the end of the minute or the fight's over and so we got a guy with we got the timekeeper which is actually a guy off of hee-haw <laughs> and oh. i laughed out loud because he's hilarious on hee-haw and when i saw him i'm like oh yeah this is gonna be comedy gold especially when he gets to a minute and there's no bell to ring. And, of course, it being a Disney movie, Griffin wins the fight by somehow getting to the scratch line first. Mm-hmm. Even though the minute has long passed. But nobody can ring the bell. So, I think that, I don't know, the timing of this fight is so funny. Um, this fight scene seemed to last way longer than it needed to. Yes. However, it was so funny that I didn't care. Like I caught myself thinking this is lasting a really long time, but I just kept laughing. Just the slapstick and the great physical comedy here was just, it was Mm -hmm. fun. I didn't mind how long it ran because I was laughing too much. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a, it was definitely not three round, three rounds of nine minutes total. It was more in line with like 20 minutes, but I'm with you. I didn't seem to mind, except I was trying to take notes that, all right, we don't have three-minute rounds. So, right. But somehow, in order to obscure his leaving with all the money, Higgins sets the place on fire. He starts another fire. Yes. Which, I mean, multiple arsonists. We got thief. We got um, attempted dentistry. The, li- the list of 
crimes that this man has committed just go on and on and on. Yes. And so because Fly, or um Jack had bet on um Griffin, somehow Arabella now owned the hotel which had been engulfed in flame. And so she pretty much puts Ox to work to try to get stuff out before the whole place collapses. Mm-hmm. It was cute how um he just instantly like had allegiance to her and was doing mm-hmm. whatever she told him to do. I thought that was fun and and sweet. He's just like there to do whatever somebody tells him to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he he ends up carrying a piano out and it's caught on fire somehow. And so he throws it on top of everything else that had been taken out. So all that burns down. And I don't know, was this the Great Fire of San Francisco that they had? I did not make that connection. (laughs) But I I don't think it was, but it could have very well been. But somehow Higgins gets cornered by the crowd and gets brought back and we pretty much don't see him anymore so he's ridden out of rail ridden out of town on a rail for lack of a better term yeah he i think like i doesn't he like end up he's in jail or something he puts himself in jail to get away from the crowd oh, right because they're gonna yeah to get they away. were gonna lynch him because he had taken all their money because everybody right. had bet on on griffin um and so the like live action stuff ends right there. Like, right. They're just watching the hotel burn to the ground. Yeah. And like the very end of the movie has a statue to Griffin somewhere in San Francisco. So because this building burned down, San Francisco owns, owes everything to him. The end. Yeah. It doesn't. So, I enjoyed the movie so much that I don't really even care how fast they wrapped it up. Yeah. Um, it would have made it a lot longer if they had done it any different, I guess. So um, I'm sure the song explains it. That's one part of the song I didn't memorize. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it just ends with them watching the burning hotel, and then it cuts to the animation and the little song that is like the um, epilogue or whatever. Yes. And it does have, a, like, somehow he's the hero of San Francisco, which I'm okay with. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a, it was a good, it was a rollicking movie that kept your attention, which, I mean, we've had a couple of stinkers lately. Mm-hmm. <sighs> One which involved Carl, Carl Malden. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's going to be in my rotation for... When T gets a little older, so that way I can sit down and say, this was one of the good movies that Disney did during this time of not-so-good movies. And we're going to teach you how to box according to the gentleman's rules of boxing, so that way you can (laughs) abide by the Marcus of Queensberry rules. Um, Do you have any other notes? Because I've got a feeling you're going to be re-watching this one since you've got the song stuck in your head. Yeah, so I don't... I actually, like kind of stopped taking notes at some point. <laughs> um, uh, I wrote Gold in the Grave. Fight scene is silly and wonderful. And that was the end of my notes. <laughs> um, but no, I'm definitely going to watch it again. Probably um, before the end of the weekend. Okay. 
Well, it probably will not be that early for me. It'll probably be a couple of years down the road. Probably when we get to like the 1990s in our movies. Because hopefully by then, T will be old enough to appreciate the movies and mm-hmm. and understand why Daddy was laughing at this one while he was trying to sleep. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and get into the three questions. First off, what is today's impact on the movie? I mean, obviously, we can't go without content warning. Yeah. Because you don't... I mean, it goes without saying, you don't want to praise the things that... Praise... I can't even talk. Praise the things that are not correct. Yeah. Like, if they made this today, um, if they had banditos, they'd definitely both be played by the appropriate... um, Mm -hmm. uh, Ethnicity? Yes. My words aren't coming from my brain to my mouth. Words (laughs) hard. Yes. Ox hit. Um, yeah, they'd have the right um, people playing the right roles. And I don't think, well, I know they wouldn't be able to get away with, like, playing um, the Chinese people as stupid. Like, it's because I don't think we talked about this, but, like, at some point they go through a camp that has, um, I think it's Chinese people. In the camp. They were they were definitely of Asian descent. Let's yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so there's that part, and they kind of, it's kind of implied, like they do in so many other movies, that they're mm-hmm. less intelligent, which that would not fly today. It, yeah. I'm, I'm glad, like I said earlier, that they put these um, content warnings on it just to, like, acknowledge, like, hey, we know. We know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I appreciate it because it means it won't happen again, hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah, those that would definitely be different. Um, I can't think of anything else. I mean, it's a period movie, obviously, so we don't have to worry about technology getting in the way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not it's not like this would, with the exception of the egregious issues. If you were to cut that those parts out, it wouldn't. It wouldn't hinder the movie. I mean, of course, you'd have you'd have the Mexican Americans playing the people, yeah. So that way, that part would actually fit in, but you wouldn't have the other part sticking out quite as much. Yeah. And of course, yeah. you would you'd probably have the judge just try to sneak on board the ship instead of doing what he did, since I mean, he's a he's a bad man. Yeah. The thing about the um, anti-Asian stuff in this movie is that it's troubling, I think, is that it's not necessary at all. Yeah. There was no reason for them to walk through that camp. Um, there was that it was like they just they only put it in there for laughs, which is so inappropriate. Yeah. The yeah. Some of the some of the things that they did looking back on it 55 years later, it's not. I mean, yeah, the movie would be, what, five minutes shorter? But, I mean, nowadays, who's going to complain whether an hour, whether it's an hour and 40 minutes or an hour and 35? Yeah, and, I mean, those scenes added almost nothing. Like, mm-hmm. They added nothing to the plot. He could have been anybody on that ship on their way back. Mm-hmm. So, it, I 
I don't want to believe that there were bad people making this movie. Like that's no. not the case, but I just, I wish I could go back and, and just understand or ask them even like, why, why did, did you have to do money? that? Like why? There's no point. Yeah. All right. The second question is, is this mirrored in culture? Not really, because we don't have gold rushes, and we don't have... Well, we still have kids running off to go try to make their fortune elsewhere, but, I mean, for the most part, you don't see anything like this nowadays. Uh, I would think, like, if anything, this movie probably borrowed from a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no. And... How does it fit into today's society? Why do I always have a problem (laughs) asking that question? It's the two S's next to each other. Yes. Um, Man, I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't really... I don't think it fits in. Because people... like, Like I said, we didn't know anything about it. And I'm sure if we were to put a poll out on... The movie crusher page tomorrow or when this is actually released saying how many people knew about this yes or no you'd probably have you and me just because we've watched it so many times mm-hmm. but everybody else will be like no but now i need to find out about it yeah maybe a handful if anything yeah, like, yeah i mean you'd have your diehard disney people that oh yeah this one's one of my favorites i can't tell you why but yeah it's um, yeah like i I said before we were recording, I was um, with my parents and my uh, my grandpa and I asked them and my my mom and dad had no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) But my grandpa was like, "Uh, I think that sounds familiar, but I don't really remember. Yeah. So he knew about it being out, but probably didn't go to see it since it only made one point nine back in the 60s. Yeah, the, my mom, like, anytime I ask her, she's like, well, was it on Wonderful World of Disney or whatever they called it? Mm, yeah, Sunday Wonderful night. World like, of Color or... idea if it was. Like, it's a Disney movie. But, yes. yeah, they, they had no idea what it was. So, I mean, and unfortunately, it's movies like this that fall through the cracks, and it's pretty much up to us to get people to watch them. Fast forward through those parts that aren't, that are less savory, I guess would be the proper term. And then enjoy the rest of it. Because, yeah, it was... I didn't... Nowhere during this movie to, did I actually stop and say, all right, how much left? How much time is actually left in this film? Yeah. It was too fun. Like, you're yeah. having too much fun to care about how much time is left. Yeah. So, <clears throat> if you are listening to this and you have not watched it, it is on Disney+. Plus. It's worth an hour and 40 minutes of your time. Please watch it. Even if you do watch the inappropriate parts that we broke down at the beginning of the breakdown. So once you've watched it, send us an email. Let us know what you thought about it. Did you not like our review? Did you think that we were totally off base? Did you like our review? Is this going to be one of your movies that you're going to sit down twice a year and watch now? Or you're going to bring it to your children's attention? Or your grandchildren's attention? You can reach us at Be Kind Rewind DMP. The DMP stands for Disney Plus Movie Podcast at gmail.com. You can also rate us or review us because that's the only way that more people are going to find out about us other than word of mouth. Um, we've got another good movie coming up next week. 
It's probably a little bit better well-known than this one. This one is actually one of my wife's favorites, and when she found out that we were doing it, she would she said, well, I can be in on this one, and I said, well, I can go get you, and she's like, no, y'all go do what you got to do. So, we will be reviewing the 19... Get up to my notes. The 1967 Disney classic, and I actually do call things classics, known as The Jungle Book, which also had a content warning. So, Come back next week, find out why it had a content warning, or if you already know, send us an email, let us know, so that way we can read your stuff on air, because we like to hear from our listeners. And until you talk to us, or yeah, until you talk to us, or we talk to you, stay safe, stay hungry, and stay away from mining towns. Y'all have a good week. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Cheers!